Hello and welcome to our brand new podcast series brought to you by Grow Opportunity. I'm your host, Marilyn De Guzman, editor of Grow Opportunity magazine. This podcast series tackles the many aspects of the cannabis business value chain, from growing and cultivation to production and distribution. We will be speaking to industry thought leaders and cannabis cultivation experts on issues and topics that matter most to cannabis producers, big and small. In this first podcast episode, I talked to Jake Ward, the head grower at Nova Scotia-based licensed producer Aquilitas. Aquilitas is growing organic cannabis through aquaponics. For those not familiar with aquaponics, it's basically growing plants and fish in a closed-loop recirculating system, where nutrient-rich water from fish tanks are used as fertilizers for the plants. In this case, it's cannabis. I spoke to Jake after winning the 2020 Canada's Top Grower Award, a program recognizing the most exceptional cannabis cultivators in Canada. That interview was the basis of our cover story in the November-December issue of Grow Opportunity. If you haven't read that one, check out our digital edition on growopportunity.ca. The following is my full interview with Jake about his experiences and challenges that brought him to this point in his career. Jake also shares his thoughts about the industry, where he thinks the opportunities are, as well as areas for improvement. Uh, I guess to start, could you talk about um, how you got started um, in this industry? I know you you've been a uh, you've been growing cannabis for a number of years, over twenty years, I believe. Could you talk yeah. about how you got started? Uh, sure. Yeah. Um, so I've been growing cannabis for uh, twenty six years now, and um, it's the same thing I tell uh, everybody. Um, just because I've been growing cannabis for twenty six years doesn't mean that I've been growing it right. <laughs> um, I found hundreds of ways um, how not to grow cannabis. So um, over the years, and um, but I I always try to listen to everybody's thoughts, everybody's opinions, and uh, I, I find you learn a lot more um, from listening to people and, and hands-on. And um, so I started growing way back when uh, for medical, and uh, what I really wanted to do was, was to help uh, other people out. So from there, I started uh, getting patients um, enough to um, grow for them and to see them get the relief that they needed was was amazing and uh from there um just tried different methods of growing and, and kept on going and uh, eventually uh, ended up with the uh, acmpr license um uh grew for myself medically and grew for other patients medically and uh moved on from there um, and then uh, from there i went into uh with aqualitas about four four and a half years ago so um at aqualitas you grow uh you're doing aquaponics. Yeah, so we grow um, indoors organically using aquaponics. Um, we use um, koi fish. Um, okay. the, the reason why we use koi um, is uh, they're a hardy fish. And what I mean by that is they can um, withstand, um, obviously, you know, 28 degrees right down to sub-zero temperatures, uh, which we don't allow, but uh, what the, 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 their immunity to... Um, you know, maintain the temperatures is good. Um, they can take fluctuations in pH, um, and they live up to fifty years. Uh, some of us been even noted to live to hundred years. Um, so we don't harvest them. Um, these are um, to our <laughs> aquaponics uh, and aquaculture technicians. These are their pets, and mm -hmm. they get the best of life um, here. Uh, to feedings, and uh, you know, uh, 
we're into R&D, breeding, uh, and to people that uh, you know don't understand uh, aquaponics uh, fully, it's taken uh, aquaculture and hydroponics, and you put it together to get aquaponics. Um, and this is basically what you're doing is you're using uh, fish waste uh, from the fish to uh, fertilize and nutri uh, give nutrients to the plants. That nutrient-rich water has live living organisms and bacteria into it. Um, that there gets converted uh, into the soil, live living soil that has 16 ingredients into it. And this breaks down um, that organic uh, matter uh, for the plants to uptake. And uh, that's what feeds our plants and uh, makes it readily available to them. Did you develop that in-house, the technology, or was there a third party? Uh, no, we had designed this ourselves uh, through a through third party, but this was our own design that we have down there now. There is nobody that actually has this design. Um, you can buy a turnkey. Um, I know some other uh, producers do uh, have a turnkey style, um, but ours was designed um, based on um, information that we collected over the years, um, traveling all around to Germany. Um, down into through the U.S. and in, in Canada, and Toronto, to develop this system. This system is um, basically our uh, the way we the way we grow and put it together. Um, not saying that anybody out there couldn't design this the same system because they could, um, but it was our own way of saying, okay, this is the way we want the tanks. This is the way we want it flow uh, to flow. Um, separating our digest and uh, digestate that gives us the the solid waste and then we can take the nutrients off of that and we reuse that we have a GMT tower um, takes out the carbon dioxide um, out of it um, co2 we do have also a, a decoupled system in there um, just due to um, the research there's certain things that sometimes in our soil if you're using uh, organic such as yucca that's stuff that can't be returned back to the fish because um, we do know that that is uh, from a cactus plant it is poisonous for the fish um, we did some uh, systems at uh, Acadia University um, R&D uh, with them and uh, that was an actual turnkey um, that's how we really wanted to figure out what we could do we took that system and we um, broke it down and, and tore it apart and uh, designed our own and then that's how we come up with our uh, how many fish is it in the system right now? Like, do you constantly add to them, or is it the same number of fish? Um? Uh, it's usually the same number of fish. Right now, we have 900 um, koi in there. Once again, the only thing that ever happens um, to those would be if they have uh, a deformity or something, or they develop a deformity um, throughout their life. They're pretty well maintained by our, uh, our um, techs. Uh, which is a great team. They uh, um, baby them. Uh, we do have a reserve at uh, Dalhousie University where we keep uh, extra koi just in case something was to happen um, here. Um, but uh, everything is alarmed and uh, sensors put in so that way we can maintain all the time you know, our level of pH and level of temperature for them and, and also for the plants because at the end of the day, we need to try to maintain that temperature so you don't get diseases like pythium or viruses uh, within your plants. So we try to keep it around 18, 17 degrees Celsius. The cannabis component of it is using soil and it's not hydroponics? No, so we use um, aquaponics 
mm-hmm. uh, to water the soil. And that they are the elements in, in the live living uh, microbes and organisms and bacteria that's in that um, soil plus in the uh, aquaponics. It helps break down those nutrients and some of that slow release nutrients. It breaks those down quicker yeah. and allows the plant to get readily available nutrients um, with of those 16 ingredients in there and uptake. Um, and we can cut back on some of our ingredients in the soil because it's, it's already complemented through the aquaponics. In other aquaponic systems, so there's the fish tanks, so the fish component and then the plants are, are grown hydroponically, isn't it? Yes, depending on, on what it is. Um, so what they do, um, if you have a, a, what's called a complete research system, yeah. um, that research system um, comes out, goes to the plants, um, plants uptake the nutrients and comes back clean to uh, the fish. And the only thing that we do is we have what's called a decoupled system is we use the aquaponics water to fertilize our soil and uh, help break down those nutrients because where it's alive living. Um, whereas hydroponics is a, is a research system also, but the salts build up and you have to take that away um, every week. You have to dump that water out, replace that water and, and start over with your nutrients um, and changing those. What um, percentage of water is recirculated in your system? Right now, our um, it's basically just what we need to water with those plants. So there is nothing really that comes back to the fish just mm-hmm. because of those uh, supplementation. But we do use all the ingredients that's left over from the fish waste. Um, so when we want to boost our phosphorus, we have a digest. So that waste, normally the, the fish waste just goes out the door. Right. Um, and, and like the, the heavy solids, um, I guess, would be is what you're what I'm talking about here so that goes into a digest system and it keeps digesting it over mm-hmm. you know months and we take the nutrient rich water off of that then we can add it to the plant and change our NPK and double our phosphorus levels to up that phosphorus level um, to help um, with our buds uh, development and to beef them up mm-hmm. and then that's the water that's been uh, stripped of the nutrients by the plants doesn't go back to the tank system. We get, I can't remember the amount of water right now. We're just working on a system for our HVAC right now, about 80% of the water that you use gets transpired into the air by the cannabis plant. So in return, you have to have an HVAC system to pull that out of the air to maintain a certain RH. Um, that water there. Uh, that eighty percent of water. Well, now we just got to get it through um, a um, filtration system that'll meet um, all um, Health Canada and our requirements for certification. That water there will then be put back into the fish. Okay. Yeah. So, so basically, what we're we're doing is is we're adding water with no runoff. We're adding enough just to maintain. The, the water the, the grass water into the plants there is no um, flow through and back to the plants the only thing that we, what we put into that the plant transpires goes back through the H pulls the moisture out of the air and that water there uh, that 80 uh, percent we're, we're working now on trying to get um, whether it's going to be UV because there are a lot of different things within HVAC units um, that can cause things like Legionnaire's disease, um, things like that, that can uh, possibly be a hazard. So those are all things we have to look into before we 
commit to saying, okay, this is what we're going to do. And, uh, and then once we do that, then the makeup water from us will be the same as a complete research system. Right. So the, the aqualitas, did it, like from the very beginning, their intention is just to, uh, even though it's an aquaponics system, solely, solely from the, the cannabis and not, did you consider in, before settling on koi um, other species that could be a, more of a revenue stream? Oh, yes. Um, it was uh, started out with the tilapia. Um, I wanted to move to salmon and trout right off the bat. But anyway, that was the uh, But it, it was just uh, it, the biggest challenge was, okay, what are we going to lose by harvesting tilapia? Okay, well, you've got you, you to have a whole system into place there that, you know, this is going to drop off. So your TDS, your... your, your um, nitrates, all those things, you got to start over again. And, and, and we didn't want to have to complicate anything. We didn't want to have to, once again, uh, with, with the company, we don't want to have to destroy animals or anything. Um, so we settled on koi way back when. It was just uh, because, once again, it, they're hardy. Um, we knew that if there was a fluctuation, they could handle it. Um, I raised koi um, in Acadia University and at uh, in Hebville under the ACPR license, and that's when we really knew these these fish are hardy. And I know it's hard to believe, but they can fetch up to a hundred thousand dollars um, per fish in in Japan in those places. They become. I don't know how the technicians do it, but they got names for just about every one of them. There's 900 in there, and it just they, they know each individual fish. They know how they react. They'll come up. Um, some of them are so friendly that there's just, you know, they're, they sit there and wait for the food. They come up to the surface and just keep opening their mouth and closing it and, and waiting. So um, I think it's a connection there, too, um, for them fellows. But, uh, but yeah, it, it, was, it had to do with being hardy and knowing full well that, you know, we don't have to worry about um, this fish dying for probably for as long as we're here for for that matter. Um, so yeah, and and the they grow to enormous sizes. I mean, um, the fish that I had were, were big, but every time I go in the aquaculture room um, and look at these fish, they're just enormous. And how how many tanks do you have in there in the aquaculture? I believe there is seven seven or eight in there now. There's about 60,000 liters of water in total in that room. Mm -hmm. And is it circular tanks? Yes, circular tanks, yeah. And is it, do you harvest like all year round? Like, is it like a continuing cycle for harvest? Yes, we, so our rooms, uh, we have a veg room. When it's not perpetual harvest, it's, uh, so we actually uh, veg in one room, switch over to a flower room, and depending on the strains, uh, once they're completed, and then we're all ready to go back in that room again. Um, after cleaning, so it's uh, we usually get five to six turns a year uh, per room. We have four rooms. Um, each room consists of about uh, eight hundred to a thousand plants, uh, depending on strains. Once again, so prior to Aquilitas, have you had like were you doing aquaponics before? Like, how much of a learning curve was it to develop or help develop this? Map? I'm guessing it's a it's a large system right now. I guess from your Yes. It was a shock. I'm not going to lie to you. There was a lot of sleepless nights. Um, I uh, first went to uh, Toronto and uh, took an aquaponics course up there. Um, from there, I went to uh, Cincinnati 
uh, took an aquaponics course uh, down there. Um, gathered all the information that I needed. Um, I did grow uh, hydroponically uh, before, but to ha have something that is a live living system and sustainable is what really caught my eye. And this was the company uh, motto from day one was to be sustainable, to be clean, uh, to be organic. So to take that, uh, come back and set up a system uh, within Acadia University. And then I had another small system under an ACMPR license that I started out and we, uh, I, I grew, we, we, we continued on from there and we just kept trying different ways and techniques and stuff. There's one thing to do hydroponically, um, which is, you know, you can just at the end of the week, after one week, you flush your nutrients out and you start all over again. Mm -hmm. This is a little bit different when you have fish. You've got to make sure you're careful what goes back to the fish. You've got to be careful what you put in for um, supplementary nutrients. Um, and once again, you must maintain organics all the time. Over the last four years, it was a lot of sleepless nights. But at the same time, it was a challenge and, and I loved it. I was the first employee Aqualitas ever hired. I remember walking in the room. You know, I, I, I had invested into Aqualitas um, through a friend of mine, and I told him how interested I was. Uh, I went in and seen the executives, sat down with them, and uh, <laughs> from there, I mean, they said, you, you know what you're, you're giving up and, and getting into that may or may not happen because, you know, at that time, we wasn't um, a licensed LP. We was just in the very infancy stages of it mm -hmm. and uh, I said you know what I'm willing to take the risk and I'm willing to uh, see how we make out here and that's exactly what I uh, what I did the thing that really caught my eye when I was hired by uh, Aqualitas uh, it was really it was uh, back then it was uh, Myrna Mike and Barb and their vision and goals was you know to grow aquaponically and organically um, and that's when I knew the challenge was going to begin but um, you know over the last four years, um, I, I, I can't express how, how many mountains we moved and, and the blood, sweat, and tears that uh, come out of it. Um, but it, it's still the, the dedication to health and well-being and sustainability uh, and to have a top-quality product on the market. It, it's still our motto. It's still all about um, our customers um, and, and having a consistent product and something unique out there, clean, um, sustainability, uh, you know, not wasting water. Um, we use LED lighting. Uh, those are things that we we needed to consider right from day one. So over the four years, we did multiple tests on lights and, and we did test after test after test. You know, we found the LED that could be uh, comparable. And so we, we do have LED lighting here. Um, which cuts our power in half, and we use 90% less water um, than uh, you know a conventional um, hydroponic grow. That message is still the message I relay um, to to anybody who asks about Aqualitas or a product, and it's it's that you know that consistency. It must be a, a quite a balancing act to ensure that consistent, high quality in your product, and then getting that sustainable, is it a balancing act, getting that sustainability um, to the level that you really want it to be meaningful, but then and um, how you can maintain a consistent high quality product? Absolutely, it, it is a definite balancing act. And there's always something um, that can throw a monkey wrench into um, how you grow. 
it could be anything from an irrigation issue to an environmental issue uh, within the rooms. You know, we're always trying to maintain um, with our SOPs, um, you know, temperature and humidities and, and morning drops and so on. Um, and each plant is different. Each plant uh, responds differently. So we have to make sure that our settings are, are where they need to be. Daily monitoring is key. And if anything goes out of whack or awry, um, you know, I'm alarmed and it's nothing to get um, an alarm one o'clock in the morning that you just, you have to respond to. It may be a faulty alarm or a sensor, but still it's something that we want to maintain and control so that we can get right on it and, and not be down or something happen to um, change our crop, especially when it comes to irrigation. Make sure our watering schedules are always the same. It's definitely a balancing act. If you were to provide some advice, recommendations, so what are the keys to maintaining that consistent quality? Because I think in the absence of like a standard for growing, for cannabis growing, what are the keys to getting, for other growers out there, to getting that uh, consistent product? Uh, the keys are to be consistent yourself. Um, there's a place for R&D. We do it tremendous amount of R&D here. Uh, we're forever doing it, but it's not a place where we do it um, with our grows, our regular grows. To tell anybody to be consistent is be con you're the person that has to be consistent and make sure that, you know, you're, you're defoliating, you're topping, you're um, scrog netting, you're, you're, you're doing everything at the same time, every time, watching your environmental conditions. Your, your relative humidity, your VPD, your, your um, temperature, um, all those things plays a huge factor. So there are things that, that can throw a monkey wrench in there and you not be consistent anymore. But um, yourself, you have to be consistent yourself. Know the plant that you're growing to. It helps a lot. Um, we have um, workhorses here that, you know, we've grown for over the last uh, three years just, just continuously. Um, and so you get to know that plant. And at the end of the day, you know what you have to do to grow that. Putting in a new cultivar is definitely a challenge uh, because you're always going to get one that's a heavy feeder, one that's a heavy drinker, one that doesn't like it that much light. This one likes the micromoles this high. This one doesn't like it that high. So it's important to get to know your cultivar. And then once, you, once you've worked with that cultivar, then you can dial it in and say here. Then we go to R&D and we can say, all right, we know what we, we've done to this plant. Let's do it in R&D now. Let's, can we get more yield out of it? Can we get more THC out of it? Uh, potency, cannabinoids, all those different things we, uh, we do in our R&D. And we do a lot of phenotyping here too. Right now we have um, roughly about, about 85 um, genetics in our inventory. We have 19 of them um, just growing as mums. And we also have... Um, 11 different phenos um, that we're currently doing. What are your thoughts in, in terms of what the industry can do to really curb the illicit market and get, really, get people going into the, um, to the legal mainstream? Oh, that's a good question. That's a <laughs> <laughs> um, the only thing, and this is just my opinion, this isn't, uh, you know, I think that the government could have changed a few things by people not growing um, their own product at home with the four plants. In Nova Scotia, you're allowed to have four uh, plants uh, 
per household. I, I think they shouldn't have done that. I think that it opened up a case where the black market, I don't think, will ever go away. I don't think there's anything that we can do as LPs, like lowering our prices. It's really how much it takes for us to grow. Well, at the end of the day, when you're growing with, you know, 240 lights in a room, you know, putting out uh, 560 watts to 640 watts of power um, and, and how much stuff you're using and, and your, the people that uh, it takes to do a commercial grow, um, I, I think that the black market is truly always going to be around unless they enforce it by law um, and, and say so. And, and I guess what I'm trying to get at is you're allowed to have 30 grams in your possession um, at all times. So if you're driving down the road, you don't have to prove where that come from. You don't have to say, oh, well, this is just from my four plants right. in my backyard. So to regulate that, that, that person could have been driving down the road with 30 grams to deliver it to somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. So that, that's my view and take on it. I think that we, the government shouldn't have done it that way. I think if you, you wanted to grow at home, it should have been still, well, what do you want to grow at home for medically? No problem. Here's your, you know, if you fill out the paperwork you're supposed to, like everybody else had to in the past, you fill that paperwork out for medicinal. If you want to grow your own medicinal marijuana, by all means, I think that's the key. Um, but to, uh, you know, I, I would like to see the statistics of what Health Canada dropped off for medical patients now um, and renewals. That, that would easily tell you that, you know, people grow, I, I would think, more for themselves on a black market issue than it would be for a medical issue before. Uh, that's just my opinion. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but right. that's how I would feel. Uh, price point-wise, I guess it's, it's hard to compete with the illegal, well, it's difficult, it's challenge, it might be challenging uh, unless you, you're willing to, uh, you know, because of the cost of production and stuff like that. But is, is price really something that will, uh, or, or quality versus quality that will? I will tell you right now that um, I have um, friends, uh, I have family that work for NSLC here in, in Nova Scotia. And the first question that uh, a cannabis um, user or consumer that comes in, first question asks, what's your highest THC? Right. Said, okay. What's your second question? How much is it? And they get that price. And they say, oh, well, I'm not paying that much for that. <laughs> so it, those are the two most common uh, questions asked. I think the industry uh, needs just a little bit more education when it comes to that there. I think uh, I would like to see people more focused on terpenes, cannabinoids. Um, you know, what's high in CBG? Uh, what's high in, uh, you know, um, CBNs? Uh, you know, is sedative? Uh, things like those. And I think... Um, we actually had a really huge increase when COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure why, it, and not not for all our product. Please don't think that because it, it certainly was not. But it was a, it was a huge increase in our um, ebb and flow, which once again is a six percent THC and ten percent CBD. It took a huge jump. Not sure why that happened, but uh, the, you know. But I, I think the industry needs to focus more on what's good for you. I mean, if if, if you want the wreck and you want to go out and get high, so be it. Yeah. I mean, if that's your fury is what you're looking for, but if you're looking to make something to make you sleep, I think bud tenders need to educate people yes. and say, look, this is high in uh, myrcene or this is high in uh, terpinoline. Um, 
and, and this is what's going to help you with inflammation. I know they're not doctors, and I know they can't prescribe that and say, but if they educate themselves or even the customer, just say, you know, um, just do a little bit of education. I think you see the industry change a little bit um, from them walking in and saying, what's your highest THC? It's hard for someone who has no background but is interested in looking into this. Um, it's hard for them to get a lot of information because there's the, the bud vendors, the people that are really facing the consumers, are not um, are not allowed to pretty much say tell you anything, basically. And, so, and, and that that is the thing. Um, basically, you know, um, when I go out to some of the NSLCs and uh, just do my check in with them see how everything is going and, uh, you know, seeing how they are. Um, and that is the key. They're not doctors, um, so they can't look at you and say, oh, no, this is going to help you with your inflammation. Or, you know, oh, no, try this uh, CBD. This is going to take all your pain away. You know, those different things. They can't do that. Um, but I think it's getting that message out there somehow to the people that's going to buy. And once again, if you're coming in, here's the easiest thing. If you're coming in saying, I want the highest THC you got, and that's it, that's all. Okay, we, we, you know what you're there for. <laughs> um, I, I actually seen a, a gentleman come in, uh, an older gentleman, uh, come in to the NSLC uh, one day that was here. He said, I heard about this stuff. He said, I'm not here to get high. He said, I have arthritis really, really bad. And he said, I'm just looking for something that, that could help that. And the woman just politely said, you know, I'm not a doctor, but she said, I, we do have an all CBD if you're not looking to get high. And it was a CBD oil. And he said, well, I'll take that and try it. And all she could do is just, you know, start out with, with this here and try it from there. Um, so there are people coming there looking for yeah. uh, medical advice. But I think it's it's the, the person that's going to buy it. Um, and, it, you know, pamphlets, anything that they can hand out at the um, NSLCs or OCS, all those different places. Um, I'm not even sure if they're allowed to do that. But it's, it's, it's educating the person. That's the part where people got to get that message across. With the regulations in packaging, right? Those are one of the things that are uh, that the industry is really getting some, I guess, criticism in terms of sustainability because there's so much packaging. Yeah, absolutely, 110. Um, percent We actually have um, a new line. Um, it's Ocean Plastic um, that's coming out. Um, so this is um, has come. It's um, it is new to us. Um, once again, I, I, I don't get involved so much into it, but I know we do have um, a new uh, brand of plastic, and it's ocean plastic uh, recycled. And packaging is one of the things. The hardest thing about it is the regulations of what Health Canada says you can you can package in and what you can't package in. If, you know, we try to do everything we possibly can when it comes to organic papers, uh, things like that. But then there's there's other regs that says you have to use this seal, this this type, and, and so on. So we're forever um, looking into those things and um, trying to be as sustainable as possible. Once again, that's been our vision. That's been our goal. Um, and that, that's been from day one. Everything that we do here is organic. We're not allowed to use, uh, to our certification, we're not allowed to use any other chemical, even though Health Canada says, yeah, yeah, you can, you can use this. But we can't because uh, it's, it's against our, um, our certification to allow those certain things. So your your certificate is it organic? What what type of certification do you have? Uh, clean green. We're the first Canadian company to be certified uh, by them out of uh, California. You're located in in Nova Scotia, I guess, because a lot of the more highly known growers, you know, in BC, uh, Ontario, 
What, what's the market like in, in Nova Scotia and how you're participating in the national? It's funny because Nova Scotia, um, as a rule, on the, even on the black market, it was always um, perceived that, oh, well, BC weed is the best weed there ever is or was. And now it's funny because we were some of the last people to ever get, uh, you know, get licenses in Nova Scotia. Um, we was way behind. Um, but our sales for our product in Nova Scotia and local and the organically, it means a lot uh, to, uh, to people around here um, and, and to be local. Um, so those, that has helped us a lot uh, in this industry. To say the least, uh, you know, it's, it's just as competitive. I mean, even Ontario is bigger and we're in Ontario. Um, it's still um, Nova Scotia sales is, is great. And, and actually for the Maritimes, all the Maritimes per se is, is, uh, is good. And I believe it's, it's, it's the local um, part plus um, um, being organically and sustainable. How many uh, growers do you manage in your, like, in your team? Uh, I manage about um, on any day about twenty eight. Um, this includes um, the uh, aquaculture staff. Um, I have um, cultivation staff. I have what's called uh, general production workers, um, which we utilize anywhere from sanitation to potting soil um, to uh, working with the plants. So they're cross trained and drill everything. Um, and I look after everything right up until uh, post-harvest, which would be, so I, I, I look after the trim, I look after the drying. Uh, once the drying is complete, uh, our team will bulk package once it meets all the specifications uh, for uh, Health Canada and our standards and um, good agricultural practices. Uh, from there, then it, it usually goes to uh, post-production, uh, which operations takes over from there, and that goes into um, sending it off and uh and then getting it back and then they do the packaging and the sales and all that stuff of it what's your um words of wisdom for up-and-coming growers my advice to them um is is um, simple and i'm just i i can tell you that we've had some growers here we have some of the best cultivators in the world i don't care what anybody says that's that's in my eyes um many of whom come here had uh no experience um at all and have proven to be the best. Um, I've watched them grow over the last few years, and that makes me feel a sense of accomplishment. But no one you can depend on your team every day and come in and do their jobs um, and know exactly what to do is is the reward. It's um, and anyone out there that enjoys working with cannabis, please stick with it. it the rewards will outweigh anything in the end. It's it's truly a passion for the plant. We're learning more things every day. There's, and I don't know how to explain it. Um, I know some people. I, I always say, you know, you, you you may have grown cannabis for 26 years. You may have grown it for five years. You may have just started yesterday. You may have just went to school and you come out. Take your ego jacket, hang it up at the door, and come in and talk and listen. And people listen back. And that's what I, I tell my team is there's not there's not one stupid question you could ever ask. Because the question that's stupid is the one that you don't ask. Um, it's it's all in how you you want to. If, if you're passionate about the plant, you'll do whatever it takes. But don't give up. Don't uh, feel that uh, you know I'm, I'm, this is a go nowhere. Because I'm a prime example of it being 
um, going from, um, you know, a research, you know, growing at home to a research tech, um, trying different things to a head grower managing, um, you know, up to 28 different people a day. So if that's where you want to go with it, then by all means, take that step, do it, um, fight for it, but don't give up even up and coming growers at home. Well, what didn't work? Well, what does work? You just, you just found a way that it, it, it didn't work for you that way, but find a different way. Try a different technique. Try something different. And if people can get the notion that this isn't going to happen overnight, there's some people, you know, they look at the plan, oh, I don't see no difference today from yesterday. Well, no, because it takes a few days. So just just work with it. Work with the plan. Let the, and my motto is I never tell the plan. The plan tells me. It tells me everything. Outside of work, what do you like to do? Like what Outside of work? <laughs> Um, I love um, <laughs> reading uh, your guys' magazines, um, looking up information, but I also have a business on the side of, uh, I do, um, I, I cut and wrap meat uh, on the side, and uh, but also um, growing plants, gardens, um, me and my daughter usually have a competition, um, she's very independent doesn't like what i have to say <laughs> and it doesn't matter if um the master grower here at aqualitas or not um she has a better way and, and kudos to her i love it because she's gonna find out that this worked or didn't work and if she finds something that did work it, then i just learned something she learned something and i learned something so at the end of the day, that that's the passion that drives, and uh, you know who got the biggest tomatoes, you know who grew the biggest pumpkin, and, and so on. So it makes it very interesting um, to do that stuff. And uh, and I did introduce her to uh, live living soil this year, and uh, fell right in love with it because she didn't have to um, mix solutions, she didn't have to do certain things. So it was uh, great for her just to go out and, and say, "Oh, well, everything's come along. Just needs water." This is literally. Uh, my daughter's uh, thirteen, going on she'll be fourteen in December. Getting into the uh, the love for the plant early, and I think those are all my questions. Do you have anything else to add? This is such an honor to do this, but I, I can only express it in a way that it's a team. It's not one person. I mean, yes, I, I led the team, but it was with you know sitting down as a team and, and we make decisions every single day. I sit at the boardroom table with my supervisors and my team leads and my IPM specialist. And I don't sit there and, and say, okay, this is how this is getting done, this done, this done. It's, it was, it's done as a team. We sit down and we say, okay, so, oh, so this happened today. Well, what, what do you guys think and what can we do to remedy the problem? So this may come from the floor from a cultivation tech just says, you know, I noticed this. Okay, well, let's look into it. And, you know, I give them a pat on the back. Um, we had uh, one plant here that uh, if you don't baby it along, it, 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 it can hermaphrodite. And um, he noticed it's starting to change. And I said, good for you. I said, so let's, let's assess the problem. Let's root cause analysis and find out why it might be doing this. And, you know, it, it could be too much lighting, uh, too much water. Without that person being there, it probably would have went unnoticed. I always make sure my team comes first or the employees here that they're the ones that are the key players. They're the ones that are what makes this place go on every single day. That concludes this podcast episode. 
Join us again next time for another engaging discussion. For the latest news and information impacting the Canadian cannabis industry, visit growopportunity.ca. Until next time.